Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency Design, Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Has gardening helped you deal with difficulties or challenges in your life? Has it helped restore your positivity? Hello, I'm Miranda. Welcome to this episode. Today I'm chatting to JJ Chalmers, ex-Royal Marine Commando, who you may be familiar with from his guest appearances on BBC Gardener's World, as well as his time on Strictly Come Dancing. JJ gardened as a child and has recently got back into it, building his family a garden and growing veg. This he does with his physical disabilities resulting from an explosion in Afghanistan June 2011. I started by asking him what happened on that life-changing day. I was a Royal Marine Commando. Um, and I served with the Royal Marines for 10 years. Uh, and in the sort of the peak of my career, I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. Uh, I was, you know, I was a boots on the ground soldier. Uh, I was on the front line. I was, you know, I was deep in the green zone of Afghanistan, the sort of fertile lands that that most of the population lives in. And that's what we were there to do, to protect the local population so that they could go about their life. And, and as I say, most of them were just humble farmers who wanted the simple pleasures in life that, that we take for granted in many ways. Um, and that's where we came in primarily to provide them with security to do that. Now, our biggest threat were improvised explosive devices. These are sometimes called roadside bombs in the sort of media. They are kind of crudely made explosive devices that get buried in the ground predominantly. And if you step on one of them, it it unleashes a huge explosion. uh, And it 
it typically takes someone's life or catastrophically injures them. Uh, and that's what happened to us on the 27th of May in 2011. Uh, we were searching a bomb-making factory, actually, you know, where we suspected these devices were being made. Um, and unfortunately, one of my friends stepped on one of these devices. It went off underneath his feet. Uh, and, and the blast that came away from it, particularly all the debris, uh, all the sort of the dirt, the mud, the, the the bricks, the rocks, the sand, that came my way. And it, it really just, you know, for want of a better word, it, it bludgeoned me. Um, and and I, I, I obviously came away from it alive, um, barely in some regards. Um, but I'd managed to more or less keep all of my body. Uh, I, I lost two fingers in a blast, but, but the rest of my body was there, but far from intact. And every part of my body, from pretty much my knees up, sustained some form of damage. Um, but, you know, my life was saved by 18, 19-year-old guys who just did the most remarkable thing, which is, you know, you, you, can't, you can't quite imagine what it's like to, to owe your life to somebody, uh, particularly one of your friends that you care so much about. Um, and the next thing I would know, I, w- I wake up back in, in, in Britain, back in Birmingham, in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital one week later. Um, the remarkable machine that is the, the sort of recovery uh, of the armed forces, um, particularly in Afghanistan at that time, just swung into action. Helicopters picked me up. I was in a surgery, in a surgical unit within one hour of the blast going off. As I say, I was back in the UK within 48 hours. It was a remarkable, remarkable thing, which I suppose in many ways I just had no experience of. So it was quite, it was quite a thing to wake up to. Mentally and physically, that was a lot to rebuild from. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, and and you're right about life changing because, of course, there's the life changing element that, which is that you know I'm now disabled and my body doesn't work the way that it used to. But it's all the other stuff that comes with it is life changing. It's the loss of a career. It's the loss of uh, the social network that ultimately, you know, when you're in the military, you're constantly surrounded by your closest friends who you would do anything for, and you're ripped out of that environment. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it, it is taken away from you in some respects. Um, so, yeah, you have to start again. You know, I had to start again with a new body that I had to learn how to use, and, and that was daily tasks like putting my clothes on and, you know, feeding myself. But as I say, you have to start rebuilding a new career. You have to start rebuilding, in some regards, a new social network because, you know, even geographically, I went from living in Plymouth with the Marines back to home uh, just outside Edinburgh, literally living with my parents. So, you know, it was was absolutely life-changing. Could a young Royal Marine you imagine yourself gardening? Um, Funnily enough, yes, because I had grown up in a very green-fingered house um so you know we were always getting our hands dirty pretty much every weekend and definitely throughout the summer there was always a big project either in the house but mainly in the garden that needed done so you know i remember really fondly one summer you know digging and and putting in a pond in my in my parents garden which you know we still got to this day oh 25 years later um you know there, there was building of a, a, a terrace or we, my parents have a small burn at the bottom of their garden you know putting in retaining walls for that and then yeah as i say just keeping the greenhouse going of a summer um so i was very green fingered but then yes i went off to the marines and actually a, a big part of that was wanting to be outside it was wanting mm. to be in nature but not necessarily tending to it having said that in afghanistan you know we got a few plants planted and whatnot because you're living in these very sort of you know, austere conditions in the heart of rural Afghanistan. Uh, And the level of comfort that you have is entirely down to yourself. 
Now, of course, security is your number one priority in terms of maintaining the checkpoint. But for example, we had a chicken coop and we kept a couple of chickens so that we could have eggs. As I say, we planted a few plants, but actually we didn't really need to plant plants because we were in rural Afghanistan. When we went out on patrol, you know, we were happy to to barter with the locals and buy a few, you know, fruit and veg and whatnot, just to sort of make everything just seem a little bit more normal. Uh, and, you know, because otherwise you're eating out of packets, you're eating out of boil-in-the-bag food, and you just want to be able to sit down and eat something that looks a bit fresh and a bit uh, a bit more human, I suppose. As a, as a gardener, I remember we, we call it a mess room, which I believe is, is a military term, but I think that's probably as much as you and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from No, you'd be surprised. And... <laughs> you'd be surprised. I'm a pretty ordinary bloke. And, and yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, like gardening... It, it, it surprises me that I have my own garden now, uh, by which I mean I'm surprised I'm a grown-up uh, more than anything. And it's just such a lovely thing to have, you know, responsibility for, a, you know, albeit small, but a little chunk of a little chunk of the world. And a lot of us have turned to gardening or turned more to gardening to, to deal with difficulties. I mean, myself, I went into it a huge way after I lost my father. And there's a lot of listeners out there through different things they've been through, fine gardening, really helpful. You, I'm imagining this, it's an ongoing thing. I've heard you say that it can be two steps forward, one steps back, sort of dealing with things. You're still in pain, aren't you? It's not something you've managed to kind of put aside. Is that fair? And, and does gardening offer you anything? Yeah, I mean, yes, my, my condition is is ongoing. I, I I naively thought when I sort of finished my surgery and my recovery back in 2016, when I left the Marines, I was medically discharged, I thought I was kind of fixed. And yes, there might be some maintenance 20 or 30 years down the line, but the reality is, you know, I was, I've, I've just most recently come from a surgery to dig a piece of shrapnel out of mm. my leg, which has been infected and bothering me for, for the best part of four months. Um, and I'm very aware of the fact that this will be an ongoing thing. You, that this body needs maintained, and not just by surgeons, but you know, it needs. To, I need to look after it myself. I need to maintain my fitness, and I need to be sensible about the things that I do. Um, you know, you need to accept that this is something you will live with for the rest of your days, and and it's also up to you to make sure that these things last the rest of your days. You know, and uh, and and we are very much in uncharted territory as well. You know, as a collective, those those of us that survived, you know, these catastrophic injuries in Afghanistan and Iraq in particular, um, you know, we we shouldn't have survived. Basically, mm. um, it, it was it, as I say, it was medical advances. It was incredible, you know, skilled individuals who who made us the unexpected survivors of that conflict. So, you know, we don't really know the long term effects of this. But yes, you know. W- there comes a physical toll with that, but there comes a mental element to it as well. You know, accepting that you will have to, you know, find a balance in your life in terms of the pain that you have to endure, you know, in terms of having parts of your life where, you know, everything seems to be going fine. And then all of a sudden, bang, you're in hospital two weeks later, you know, the unexpected um, nature of that. And, uh, and so, I, on the flip side, I'm very lucky. I'm extremely busy with my career. It takes me away from from home a lot, you know, whether it was three months doing Strictly Come Dancing or, as I say, you know, working on major sporting events all around the world. You know, it's quite common for me to be away from home for two or three months, sadly, particularly during the summer, which is the sort of main sporting calendar. Uh, obviously, times are slightly different at the moment, but um, it, it's it's nice to be able to come home and do 
the normal everyday things, which are to remind me of my childhood, essentially, I suppose. And that's what I want to pass on to my kids as well. You know, that opportunity to spend time outside, get your hands dirty, uh, and and yeah, just kind of, you know, keep the place running, as it were. How do you feel when you're outside gardening? Oh, I, I feel, I mean, I feel everything. I mean, I feel, I feel just completely content in terms of what what a what a lovely privilege it is to be able to go outside and do something you know in the fresh air it's just a lovely thing to get to do having said that i also feel the challenge of it you know i love learning new things i love um you know looking at a looking at a pile of soil and turning into something you know knowing that i how i want to shape my garden you know how i want to nurture my plants whatever it might be like I, i'm far more um, I'm far more sort of a landscaper, I would say. You know, I like to get, I like to, you know, get the pickaxe out and get the shovels out. Not so good at it anymore, but I find a way. Uh, and you know, I, I love building sandstone retaining walls. You know, raised beds with sleepers, whatever it might be. Um, but once you've done that bit, it's really satisfying to then actually be able to plant it out and, and nurture and tend to something. That's the thing I'm learning a lot more about at the moment, actually. So yeah, it's a whole range of emotions because of, as I say, the challenge, the opportunity to learn, and the opportunity to just enjoy something that's simple, really. Is it in any way a spiritual or religious place for you, the garden? Um, I, don't, I, I suppose that, yes, spiritual would probably be a quite good a quite good way of talking about it. Green spaces in general, not just my garden, but I'm very lucky to have um, to have you know a, parks that sit either side of my house, essentially within within a mile or so. Uh, one of them in particular, that what we call the Glen in the town that I'm from, uh, Dunfermline. Um, it, it is. It's a. It's been a really special place to me for twenty odd years, you know. And it's it's been somewhere that I grew up playing hide and seek as a kid in, you know, and running around with a football in. Uh, and it's somewhere that I've, you know, there was a big part of my rehabilitation that I could go somewhere and just be comfortable in my surroundings. Uh, and then also, you know, actually go for a walk that that wasn't along a hospital corridor, essentially. You know, actually to go out in a 3D world um, and hear the birds chirp and all that kind of stuff, which I think most of us have really begun to really appreciate through lockdown. Uh, and now as a father, it's something which I just want to pass on to my kids. Like, And that, I suppose, from a sort of spiritual point of view, like it's the most important thing in my life is is my kids and what I can give to them. And I don't think I can give them anything. I just, for, for starters, I feel I'm incredibly proud to come from Scotland, for starters. I just think, you know, it's it's a beautiful country where people from around the world travel to come and see. And I just happen to be born here. Um, you know, I feel that about, you know, the, the whole of the United Kingdom, but particularly about Scotland. And I just think, um, I, I say, I, I consider... It, you know, a lovely place to sort of pass on to my kids. It's interesting you talk about your kids and obviously it's something you want to instill in them as you, as much as you had it instilled in you. And I was listening to you, you talk about commando values and it made me think, so, <laughs> right, I'm going to test you on this. So excellence, integrity, self-discipline and humility, right? So those are your commando yep. values. What values yep. do you think young people, your children can gain from being in nature and gardening? If, if we were to turn it around... <laughs> I just think, I don't know if it's necessarily, I don't know what, what the, as I say, the value would be, but it's some sort of simplicity. I suppose it's um, the perspective of, of take, you know, and I think lots of people have learned it during lockdown, that actually we don't need as much stuff as we think we did. You know, I think, I think when we really, I mean, put it this way, when we started lockdown and 
you know, as 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 a parent trying to raise two young children, you know, you 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 use all the tools in your toolbox from soft play areas to go into the cafe to whatever it might be. That was all gone. We didn't even have play parks. You couldn't even sit on a park bench during the first lockdown. So all of a sudden, you know, the big oak tree became something just wonderful. And actually, my kids loved it. They loved the simplicity of it. And I suppose in some ways I'd never offered them that because I'd always gone, oh, let's go to the soft play instead. And you're like, well, no, that they see no difference. You know, that that it's they're loving this just as much as any other manufactured environment that I could put them in. So I don't know what that is, whether it's a, it's just, as I say, simplicity or whether it's just general perspective that, that you can get from being part of nature. Um, and I suppose another thing is the kind of, particularly when you own a garden and you look after it, you know, I, I, I'm, it's a responsibility, I suppose, um, to, to look after your little patch. And I, you know, I always want my kids to have that value of, of, you know, wanting to work hard and wanting to, you know, nurture something. And that really does come from something, true ownership. You know, you feel like this is your thing that you need to look after. And I have it on a very small scale, but, you know, I have I have a friend in particular who owns an estate in the north of Scotland. And it's a huge management responsibility to look after all the nature, uh, to look after all the animals, even the, the, the people whose livelihood depends on it in some way. And I love, you know, taking my children to that environment and being able to give them an insight into you know, just having ownership and responsibility of something. Um, and then I suppose the biggest thing is just a hard day's work. There's nothing more satisfying than, than you know, standing up at the end of the day and your back's creaking and you go, oh, that was tough. But actually your gin and tonic tastes all that sweeter. <laughs> uh, and, you know, obviously don't give that to the kids. Um, but it's just that sense of, you know, I often say that the best stories I have in my life they never start with, oh, remember when the weather was perfect or remember when everything went to plan. It, they, they have some form of hardship in them. Um, you know, those are the best big mad adventures I've been on. But actually, you know, you can you can boil that down even to a day in the garden where you just go, you're, you're halfway there and you're just going, oh, I really just want to take a break now. But I, I'm a big believer in just, you know, powering through and getting the job done. And yeah, that's that's hard work. That's graft. And as I say, that can start at home. And I don't think there's any better place to learn that than in the garden. And that's what I learned as a kid, in fairness. You know, my we had hedges that needed trimmed. We had grass that needed cut. We had, you know, whatever it was. And they became my responsibilities as a teenager in particular. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to go out and you know, play football or get on the computer or whatever it was until those things were done. And I will do the same for my kids. As a young man, as a ex-Royal Marine who is gardening, from your point of view, do you think there are young men who think gardening isn't something for me? Do you think there's a stigma around gardening not being accessible for them? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think I think we're lucky that we live in a part in history where stigmas are being broken all over the place. Um, I think I think there's also a generation of young men in particular who almost take pride in not being able to do practical skills. You know, I, I'm you know so, sorry to say this, but he wouldn't argue. But my brother-in-law, for example, is pretty proud of the fact that he couldn't change a light bulb um, in some regards. And so it's yeah, I think I think I think there's two things. I think there is there are genuinely people that almost rail against it. So that's sort of like I'm not doing that because, as I say, I take I take pride in the fact that I know nothing about it. But then I, I think I think we see this in barriers and all sorts of things. And in fairness, I used to be a teacher as well once upon a time. And of all the things I ever tried to instill and teach kids about, one of the most challenging, but I think 
if you could really, you know, if you could, if you could break this barrier, this taboo, you know, the skies were the limits for kids. And it was that sense of find the thing that you love and do it. And don't care about what others think about it. You know, when I look back at my life and I talk about any regrets that I might have, I don't have any regrets of the of the things that I have done. But I certainly would have regrets of, of the things which I, choo- I chose not to do, particularly when I was worried about what somebody else thought about it. And as I say, you know, if you're a teenager and you've got an interest in horticulture or gardening, whatever it might be, and you're worried about what the cool kid in school might think, what a wasted opportunity. Just go out there and do the thing that makes you happy. And that could be anything. You know, I, for example, if, if put it in sort of in, in, in the most recent terms, doing Strictly Come Dancing, Royal Marine Commando, putting on Sequence and Sparkle. Now, I could have been very self-conscious about that, but in reality, at no point did I feel any level of embarrassment um, doing what I was doing. In fact, from the armed forces community, I had nothing but respect because of the, the the enormity of the challenge of what I was facing. And as I say, that just boils into that, you know, imagine if I'd said no to it because I'd worried about what somebody else would have thought. And yes, I, I would I would hate for a young person to, to lose out on the opportunity to discover a passion which they could have for the rest of their life because they, they worried about what somebody else thought about it. You, for me, and for a lot of people that know your story, represent a lot of resilience I'd say sort of a willpower of steel, you know, to, to come away from having been, you know, blown up. I mean, you, you lost a couple of friends in that incident. So, I mean, it was a very dark thing. And so I, I want to ask you, young men and mental health, it's an increasing issue, especially talking about problems, I think. And then we see horticulture and you sound very much aware of the benefits of it. How do we how do we get those two things together? Is, is there a way? Yeah, it's very true. I mean, as a... As you say, you know, mental health is taking great steps forward. I mean, even in my time from joining the military 15 years ago, you know, attitudes to mental health are in a very, you know, very alpha male environment has changed so significantly, uh, almost to the point where actually, you know, we're really starting to get to the to the root cause of instead of dealing with mental health at its at its last point when it's a catastrophic, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the catastrophic element trying to deal with it in a positive sense and actually create good behaviors which allows you to unlock that extra part of your potential training your mind in the same way that we train our bodies you know it's that resilience you talk about the royal marines taught me resilience now don't get me wrong it continued the work that that my granny that i told you about that used to have the garden over an airshare you know she was a proper you just get on with it but you know not in a not in a because it was her not in a very a toxic way. It wasn't a sort of, you know, suck it up and get on with it. It was sort of, okay, these are the situations in front of you. You need to accept them. You need to deal with them. But sometimes you do need to just buckle up and and, and you know put your best foot forward um, and keep going. But be honest about the fact that you're struggling. That's absolutely fine. So yes, I, I, you know, I think there's a there's an enormous amount of things that we, we we're we're seeing and improvements within mental health. But yeah, it it goes back to that what I was talking about about finding your passion in life. Now you know you look at something like the Invictus Games and the way that it changed my life. Now that's what sport did for me at that point in my in my life. But sport isn't for everybody. You know, it might be theatre, it might be baking, and it might be gardening. And so, you know, it's about creating those opportunities for people. You know, we know that that for young men in particular, you know, for people under the age of young men 
are men under the age of 50, suicide is the biggest killer. I mean, that is a horrific statistic. You know, I think, you know, when we look at the the Second World War generation, for example, you know, these were guys that came home and one of the first things they did was get an allotment, you know, and tend to their allotment. And that gives you a place to a place to clear out your head, have time to yourself, you know, deal with something. Uh, I have a friend who's done it most recently with a with a bushcraft school that he set up in the in in in, in the southwest, and that is massively about uh, an area that he took himself to to be kind of off grid. But it was less about it was less about the physical nature of being off grid, and far more the fact that he could disconnect from it. And I think gardens and green spaces are perfect for that, giving us time to be able to you know deal with you know things that are happening within our own own headspace. But also do something physical, you know, do something, as I say, that you can walk away at the end of the day and feel like you've achieved something. And I think a big part of, uh, you know, our mental health struggles is is not being able to see the victories that we have on a daily basis. Um, you know, people talk about, you know, what I've lived through and the resilience I've developed. It's happened because I faced something so enormous that it was it was impossible not to see the resilience developing in me. But actually, for a lot of people, the challenges they face on a daily basis are so minor, but they build up in such a way that it becomes catastrophic, but they're not seeing the victories when they win over them. And you can you can see victories in your garden when you see it, you know, flourishing. Absolutely. So how do we get you and the Duke of Sussex to make gardening as cool as the Invictus Games? <laughs> Well, that's it. It's, it's a good. It's a good point. The thing about the Invictus Games, in many ways, was taking something, which I, you know, recovery sport, disability sport, was becoming cool. Partly because of London 2012, and you're right. We we what he did was package it in a way that made it cool, that made it accessible, that made people buy into it. Now, a big part of that was telling stories. If I'm being completely honest, it was it was brutal honesty from the individuals that were part of it. Um, and it was seeing, yes, a great success at the end of it. You know, for me, it was winning a medal, but for other people, it was just making it across the finish line. And you're right, you know, how I would love to come up with that concept because I would love to take young people into green environments when where they've never seen. You know, I remember working in a primary school in a pretty deprived area, and we were like, we, the piece of homework was, you know, note down which flowers and animals you see on your way to school without realizing that they probably wouldn't even see a flower or an animal on the way to school. It was, you know, t- you know, what a terrible oversight on my part. But yes, uh, you know, how do we how do we create something competitive probably? How do we create something um accessible? Um and as you say, how do you then package that up so that the stories are told but there's also something brilliant at the end of it. And I, I it was, it's probably something as simple. And I was thinking about this the other day. The, 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 the the problem we sometimes have is that when when we try to fix a problem, we try to parachute into an into a situation, we fix it, and then we pull away from it. And sometimes we did that in Afghanistan, and it just didn't work. The way that you fix a problem is by empowering the individual to do it, and that's what Invictus was about: is empowering the individual to fix their own their own problems, etc. And that would be it. You know, if you look at the green spaces that get abused by young people, for example, you know, public areas that are you know vandalized or broken or something like that, if they had genuine ownership over these things they wouldn't they wouldn't do those things to them i think we need to get you and harry doing an allotment challenge i think that might be the answer <laughs> yeah i think it, i think you're probably right um i don't know uh, what's the horticulture in california like i'm not sure <laughs> he can both grow uh, better tomatoes than you in scotland yeah exactly exactly is he in, i don't know if he's in wine country get himself to the napa valley you'll have to ask um, him and find out for us how much gardening yeah i will do 
I don't know. I mean, to be fair, he was constantly growing up surrounded by very nice gardens. If you look at Kensington and whatnot, um, and you're right, California is a, is a beautiful. You know, it's actually you know having spent time over there with the U.S. Marines in particular, it's got some stunning scenery and some beautiful, beautiful green spaces. So no excuses, Harry. <laughs> yeah, no excuses. I just want to ask you about how you overcome difficulties in the garden. Because you do have issues with dexterity, is that fair to say? How do yeah. you get around problems, sort of fiddly things in the garden? Yeah, it, there's two things. There are fiddly things from um, what comes from my hands being, you know, missing a couple of fingers, having significant nerve damage in my other hand, you know, what fingers I do have, none of them work. None of them work as they're meant to. Um, on a cold day, that's pretty much a write-off, unfortunately. It's a good excuse not to go out and do the garden on a cold day. Um, but yeah, when the weather when the weather drops, my hands really seize up and I can't use them. So there is the dexterous element of, as I say, dropping seeds into into what it might be. That's where my daughter comes in, actually. It's quite lovely. You know, that's where I'll get her involved. Um but the other thing is because of the instability and the pain that I experience, particularly in my right elbow, it is the it's the heavy stuff. It's the lifting and shifting. It's the you know swinging a pickaxe and and digging a hole. That's about finding a balance, really, because I can do it. It's just that I'm going to pay for it at the end of the day in terms of the pain that I will be feeling, um, and I will pay for it in the long term in terms of how long the joint in my elbow or the you know knuckles in my hand will last for and i'm getting arthritis essentially setting in early um but it's about not being paralyzed by that because i want to do these things i'm not going to allow it to stop me from doing it entirely so yes there's a level of taking pain medication for example but again it's about finding a balance and splitting the jobs up um and that's what as i was saying earlier it's kind of useful to have five or six jobs going at one time so i can i can take a break and move over to something a little bit softer as it were um you know, I put it this way, by the time I finish cutting my grass and I don't have a lot of it, I'll feel it in my arms, you know, so I'll, I'll know going into that job just how bad I'm going to feel at the end of it. But the grass needs cut and I enjoy doing it. So, you know, it's finding that, it's finding that balance. Um, and then, yes, in terms of, in terms of some of the, the tools and methods I use, that's actually one of the most exciting parts of it. It's, it's constantly finding a way, you know, constantly finding a way around something. Um, you know, for example, you know, one of the problems I have is I can't really wear gloves. You know, when I put a pair of gloves on, I, um, my hands already feel like they're wearing gloves in terms of the nerves that I have. So I really, as soon as I put a pair of gloves on, I, I lose pretty much all sense of, of touch and feel. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, I, I'm working, getting my hands very dirty down in the dirt, but actually I don't mind that. But you, again, you just have to be very mindful when you're sticking your hands into a thorny bush, basically. <laughs> so on your, on the darkest days when things are really difficult and you go out into the garden with your kids and you're going to start a project, what is that feeling? What is that kind of hope that you get from being in the garden that, that helps? Yeah, I mean, I, I get an excitement straight away. I mean, don't get me wrong, we all know there's tasks in the garden that can be a bit more monotonous than others, and you're kind of like, this just feels like a task. But as I say, a project, a proper project, it's nothing but excitement once you've got the tools out and you're getting a good run at it. Um, so, you know, it's it, 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 it's the excitement of problem solving, it's the excitement of doing the task. And as I say, it's also that excitement of, you know, when you stand up and you feel that crick in your back, how good that feels when you know that that you've earned that that you know they've earned that bit of 
pain and suffering, which sounds a bit strange, but it's that it's just knowing that you are you're doing something which is yours and i don't think there's anything more fulfilling in life except for in fairness doing it with your kids and passing it on to them because it's just you know i don't i i try not to force them out into the garden but as parents we need to sort of sometimes be like get your jacket on let's get outside i remember wonderfully uh my daughter she's wonderfully stubborn and i i was telling her that she needed to take um her tutu off and put her rough clothes on so we could go outside and we found a compromise and that was that she wore her overalls but she had the tutu over them <laughs> um but yeah, you know, it's getting out in the garden, passing that stuff on to them. I just, uh, it, it, as I say, it's so hard to pinpoint the single thing that I get from a garden. It's everything, you know, it is everything. And it's the, it's the simple things of hearing the birds, hearing the rustling. That that stuff is just so lovely. Um, and as I say, owning something which is yours and looking after it. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time.